Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Reports take a close look at the police paperwork documenting the traffic stop that led to Tyree Nichols' death. Officers' initial assertions don't appear to match the footage. The White House and House Republicans agree that it's time to end the COVID-19 emergency, though they disagree on how soon. A pro-life counselor was acquitted of federal charges that he assaulted a man in front of an abortion clinic. After the case, his attorney said the Justice Department shouldn't have gotten involved. Changes to higher education in Florida. The governor says institutions should place more emphasis on teaching skills rather than focusing on political agendas. And the top election official in Arizona wants Republican Carrie Lake investigated for a possible campaign violation. That's after Lake posted a graphic on Twitter showing 16 voter signatures. We start the evening with some breaking news. Actor and producer Alec Baldwin has formally been charged with involuntary manslaughter today. That's for the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of the movie Rust in 2021. The set's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, was also charged. The Santa Fe County, New Mexico District Attorney's Office filed the charges following months of speculation. A probable cause statement says, quote, On the day of the shooting alone, evidence shows that no less than a dozen acts or omissions of recklessness occurred in the short time prior to lunch and the time of the shooting. And this does not include the reckless handling of the firearm by Baldwin. Attorneys for both defendants previously said their respective clients are innocent. And an initial police report filed in the hours after Tyree Nichols' traffic stop seems to now be contradicted by the police video of the incident. A heads up, we are about to show some of that footage. Among other claims, the initial police report said Nichols started to fight with officers and at one point grabbed one of their guns. But neither claim was substantiated by the police videos released last week. The report also identified Nichols as a suspect in an aggravated assault, though the videos don't appear to show him fighting back. Meanwhile, a seventh unnamed Memphis officer has been relieved of duty, and the Memphis Fire Department said Monday three emergency medical technicians have been dismissed. The White House saying today Vice President Kamala Harris will attend Nichols' funeral tomorrow. And the president says it's time to wind down on treating COVID-19 as an emergency. And House Republicans pushed a bill today to immediately end the national emergency, which has gone on for nearly three years now. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup from Capitol Hill with more. The Biden administration announced they'll allow the pandemic emergency declarations to end four months from now in May. Now, what this will do is it will eliminate the executive branch's powers that they currently have in dealing with the pandemic, such as their ability to suspend student loan repayments, as well as end the flexibility with regards to reporting in the healthcare arena. Republicans today noting the timing of the White House's announcement. And we are moving the federal government away from its perpetual COVID state, giving healthcare workers more freedom and forcing career bureaucrats to start showing up for work again. Uh, by the way, I don't know if anyone noticed, 
but the White House is now responding directly to the House Republicans. And Republicans say this is long overdue, pointing to a comment that President Biden made back in September when he said that the pandemic is over. But despite those comments, the administration says there needs to be a phased out approach when ending this public health emergency, which is the same message that we're hearing from House Democrats. Here's how the House Democratic Caucus chairman responded when I asked him about the issue earlier. Um, we understand that some proposals that they could be pushing could uh, increase the cost of the vaccine. Um, uh, we want to make sure that testing is available through insurance programs. Those are the types of things that we're concerned about. It's about how this policy affects our community. And in addition to this bill that would end the public health emergency immediately, House Republicans also pushed a few other pandemic-related bills today. One would end telework for federal employees. The other would end vaccine mandates for health care workers. Now, what is interesting is that the Senate during last Congress did vote twice to end this public health emergency and that that did garner the report the support from 12 Democrats. We asked Senator John Thune, who is the Republican whip in the Senate, if it's worth another floor vote in the Senate during this Congress. Here's how he responded. I think most people have moved on the pandemic and the worst of the pandemics behind us and it's time for our policies to reflect that. So whether that ends up translating into a vote here remains to be seen. So if the Senate does take up this bill and it does make it to President Biden's desk, he's vowed to veto it and instead allow these pandemic powers to end this May. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And President Biden today traveled to New York City touting new funding for an infrastructure project. The Hudson River Tunnel is part of the Gateway Project, which was first announced over 10 years ago. Folks, just outside this space, the first piece of the new Hudson Tunnel is being built. It's one of the biggest parts of the Gateway Program. Now, let me say this at the outset. This is just the beginning, just the beginning of finally constructing a 21st century rail system that's long, long overdue in this country. The president showcased an almost $300 million grant. It will be used to help build a new tunnel connecting Manhattan to New Jersey beneath the Hudson River. And a separate project will renovate the existing tunnel. The New York visit is Biden's second stop of a three-part trip this week. He's highlighting his success in securing money for infrastructure. The new tunnel is expected to be finished by 2035. And pro-life activist Mark Houck was found not guilty on federal charges of assault on an abortion clinic escort. Houck was arrested in 2022 after the FBI raided his home. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. Relief, uh, overjoyed, blessed. That's Mark Houck, a pro-life counselor celebrating his acquittal on federal charges of assault under the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, or FACE Act. His attorney, Peter Breen, explained to NTD in a previous interview what the act is and why Houck was arrested. We have two counts under the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, the FACE Act, as we call it. And that's about, uh, it was put in place back in 1994 to stop the blockades of abortion clinics. Houck was accused by the Department of Justice of assaulting an abortion advocate just outside the clinic door. Mark and his then 12-year-old son were away from the entrance to the abortion clinic. And the abortion escort, who claims to be the victim, a 72-year-old man, went to them. There were no patients around. He went to them and plopped right next to the son and started harassing him. A 72-year-old man should know better. 
and then an altercation ensued. The Philadelphia DA declined to prosecute, and a state court dismissed a civil complaint. Breen told NTD the alleged victim didn't show up in court, so the matter should have ended. But then the FBI raided Houck's home and arrested him on federal charges. On Monday, Breen gave reporters his take on why the FBI got involved. From day one, this case uh, has been an intimidation tactic by the Biden Department of Justice. Mark uh, is totally innocent of these, uh, these charges. This matter uh, is one that never should have gotten the attention of the Department of Justice. Houck's attorneys argued this was a First Amendment case. While the DOJ maintained, Houck violated the FACE Act. This was about the First Amendment in that Mark and every sidewalk counselor in this country has an equal right to be there on that sidewalk and offer assistance, offer alternatives to folks. The jury returned a verdict in one hour. NTD reached out to the Justice Department and asked for their take on this case and whether or not the jury returned the right verdict. So far, we haven't gotten a response. Houck said he intends to resume his sidewalk counseling. 100% I'm going back. Yeah. I'll be there next Wednesday. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And the House's new select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government is kicking into action. Reportedly sending letters this past Friday to five subjects who may also be subpoenaed if they're unresponsive. The panel says it will investigate potential misconduct by the FBI, Justice Department and the intelligence community, among others. Earlier today, I spoke with attorney and former assistant attorney general at the Justice Department, Jeffrey Clark, for his thoughts. Jeffrey Clark, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, a new House subcommittee is investigating what they say is a concerted effort by the government to cancel conservatives. They and many others say Americans are feeling targeted. What are your thoughts on this? Well, look, I think it's a very uh, target-rich environment to key off of your word. I mean, there are so many things that the new weaponization subcommittee that we called for here at the Center for Renewing America, uh, you know, could uh, look into. I can just, you know, tick off uh, several quickly, you know, the, the Twitter files, uh, the Biden documents, the Mar-a-Lago raid as compared to the Biden documents, uh, Tim Tebow, the FBI whistleblowers, uh, you know, parents being targeted and harassed, uh, Mark Houck, the uh, anti-abortion uh, prayer warrior being targeted and then acquitted. I mean, just so many things that could be examined. And like you mentioned, the subcommittee says it will examine ways that the FBI, DOJ and Homeland Security may have been weaponized against Americans but also the agency's possible neglect, for example, in probing the Hunter Biden laptop story. What are your concerns in regards to that? Well, look, I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop has been over at DOJ, uh, at Bill Barr's DOJ, no less, you know, in which I served since 2019. Uh, so, you know, that, that's something that uh, should have been looked at a lot harder and a lot faster. And we may be seeing that the Biden documents scandal, which recently emerged on uh, January 9th, that that really does trace back to investigations into the Hunter Biden laptop. That's not clear at this point, but there was just breaking news uh, before you began this interview uh, that uh, CBS News had learned that actually the Justice Department searched the Biden Penn Center in quote unquote mid-November. and. 
what is mid-November? I mean, it, you know, it's after uh, November 2nd, which we're told is when, uh, you know, Biden's people uh, themselves found documents at the Biden-Penn Center. But was it before the election or after the election? And why is it such, you know, vague terminology about uh, mid-November? Seems odd. And you've said that you think this issue with Biden's classified documents could be his undoing. What do you think about the timing there and if there's any concerns around what they're saying? Well, I think we've begun to see that uh, there are even, you know, former officials, advisors affiliated with the Clinton administration, like David Gergen and Dick Morris, who started to realize how serious this is for uh, the Biden administration. We've seen uh, Ron Klain uh, make good his exit as the White House chief of staff uh, so that, uh, you know, he can plausibly claim that he had nothing to do with uh, this issue and that this is a mess that emerged later in the in the Biden administration. I think it's very dangerous for them. Uh, you know, you certainly don't want to be going into a presidential campaign with a special counsel having been newly appointed to uh, to look into you know, an issue that you've had that stretches back far longer than the Trump documents. It, you know, stretches back now, not just to the Biden vice presidency, but to Biden's time in the Senate based on documents that were found at his Wilmington home, uh, as the reporting has shown. And coming back to this subcommittee, the subcommittee can access the most highly classified information in Congress, and it has subpoena power. Do you think it will be able to get answers that other committees or subcommittees won't or can't reveal? Well, I think it needs to press to get those results as hard as possible. We, uh, you know, know what the tools for that are. Uh, you know, first, Congress, and in particular the House, needs to use its uh, power of the purse, which is one of its foremost constitutional powers, to make sure that if the executive branch is refusing to share the necessary documents, that they can look into it. I'd also note that, look, some of these issues obviously go to or could ripen into impeachment proceedings at some point. And clearly, those begin in the House. So arguments that the executive branch can keep uh, information back from an inquiry like that, I, I think, are, are poor constitutional law. And then lastly, you know, if the uh, Biden Justice Department won't enforce contempt findings, criminal contempt findings, if they have to be issued by these House committees, like the Weaponization Subcommittee, then I think the House needs to look hard at using its inherent contempt power, which would mean basically arresting people and putting them in the basement of the Capitol jail. Now, as you mentioned, you worked in the Justice Department, and your home was also raided just a year ago as the department targeted Trump and his allies after January 6th. What kinds of obstacles could this subcommittee face, in your opinion, in its stated search for the truth? Well, I think they're going to face uh, uh, a whole slew of arguments that, you know, this is inconsistent with the guiding principles uh, over time of the Justice Department that, you know, give us more time to engage in a uh, accommodation process. You know, we propose, we give you some documents, you make a counterproposal, et cetera. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the investigators for the Weaponization Committee, they cannot allow themselves uh, to, you know, get a kind of rope-a-dope that just stretches out the timelines forever. They need to press aggressively to get the documents, and that's one reason why they need to get subpoenas out as soon as possible. Detractors say the subcommittee is meant to stoke distrust between the government and the people. What do you say to that? 
I think after the uh, highly scripted uh, uh, January 6th committee uh, hearings, it's very ironic uh, to hear that. Republicans are proposing to run these committees entirely above board and in a balanced fashion. There will be a ranking member from the Democrats on each of these committees. There will be representation. There will not be, uh, you know, throwing people willy-nilly off of the committees because Nancy Pelosi fears that a Jim Banks or a Jim Jordan might, uh, you know, uh, put out another side of the story about January 6th and, and cross-examine witnesses. We're going to see a fair process. So I think the idea that this is just some sort of, you know, counter-weaponization process or however the Democrats want to characterize it is wrong. The process these Republicans in the House are going to run will be entirely fair and above board. All right, Jeffrey Clark, attorney and former acting assistant attorney general for the C Civil Division. Really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Representative George Santos told House Republicans today that he wants out of his two committee assignments. His decision comes as prosecutors are investigating his personal and campaign finances. Reporters waiting outside of the Capitol asked the congressman if Speaker Kevin McCarthy told him to step down. Nobody tells me to do anything. I made a decision on my own that I thought best represented the interests of the vote. But what prompted that? I mean, there's me got, got, Ow. Right, sorry, Guys, sorry. you got to relax. You're assaulting me at that point. I think it was an appropriate decision that until he can clear everything up, he's off committees right now. McCarthy has faced harsh criticism for assigning Santos to the Small Business Committee and the Science, Space and Technology Committee. The assignments came after Santos admitted to lying about much of his resume. Santos said he's not stepping down from office and that the only way he'd leave is if he loses in the next election. A new poll by Newsday and Siena College shows that 78% of voters in Santos's district who responded to the survey want him to step down. The view is supported by 71% of Republican respondents, 72% of independents, and 89% of Democrats. And in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is introducing what he calls higher education reform for the state. He says it's to ban indoctrination at colleges and universities. So we're proud of what we Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday said higher education in Florida is focusing too much on political activism and not enough on teaching real skills. According to him, this is hurting students in the long run, so he wants to turn the situation around. The more we're centering higher education on uh, integrity of the academics, excellence, pursuit of truth, teaching kids to think for themselves, not trying to impose an orthodoxy, you are going to see people flooding into these institutions because there's a desire for Because I think a lot of people realize, you know, academia writ large across the country has really lost its way. The governor introduced a plan that requires any general education course be based on providing a strong educational foundation and not promote ideological indoctrination. It also requires institutions to prioritize graduating students with degrees that lead to high-wage jobs, not degrees designed to further a political agenda. The governor also said he wants to get rid of offices that promote critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. We are also going to eliminate all DEI and CRT bureaucracies in the state of Florida. No funding, and that will wither on the vine. Another part of the plan focuses on staffing and hiring procedures. 
by empowering university presidents to make the best hiring decisions by reestablishing their authority over the hiring process. All of the ideas the governor mentioned would apply to public institutions only. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. The top election official in Arizona has asked the state's attorney general to investigate Republican Carrie Lake, who lost the gubernatorial race to Katie Hobbs. It's for potentially violating state law by publishing voter signatures on her Twitter account. On January 23rd, Lake posted a graphic on Twitter that showed 16 voter signatures, alleging that they didn't match what Arizona has on file. Arizona Secretary of State Adrian Fontes, a Democrat elected to the office last November, said that's illegal. He wrote a letter to Arizona Attorney General Chris Mays requesting appropriate enforcement action against Kerry Lake. Fontes cites a state law that prohibits re reproducing voter signatures by anyone other than the voter or illegally authorized, authorized person. The office for Mays, a Democrat who also was elected in 2022, confirmed receiving the letter but did not comment any further. Tim Lasota, Lake's attorney, called the request another attempt to weaponize the justice system with a phony allegation against a Republican. And coming up, lawmakers come together to speak up for religious freedom around the world. And activists call on the Secretary of State to bring up human rights issues during a visit to China next week. And in the NFL, Super Bowl winning coach Sean Payton will return to the sidelines next year, but not in New Orleans. We'll detail his surprising trade. That and more coming up. Key voices in Washington are speaking out for the right to believe and calling out China for its decades of human rights abuses. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the International Religious Freedom Summit in D.C. This is a God-given right that unfortunately is being trampled on. Highlighting the right to believe, the International Religious Freedom Summit brings lawmakers from across the political spectrum. And we work together, especially on issues regarding human rights. The Chinese Communist Party is conducting an all-out assault on religion. At the center of the focus is religious persecution by the Chinese regime. The chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee highlights the Chinese Communist Party's state-sanctioned forest organ harvesting, targeting Falun Gong practitioners and other prisoners of conscience. They have biometrics to, to follow all their people within China, um, you know, organ uh, transplants where they force people uh, and they sedate them and take their organs out and, and it's just horrific. The summit also comes just a week before Secretary of State Antony Blinken is set to travel to China. He asked former NBA player and human rights activist Anis Cantor Freedom about what he thinks Washington should tell Beijing. Don't be scared. Call out China for their human rights abuses. Now the whole world knows what Tibetans are going through, what Hong Kongers are going through, what you know, Uyghurs are going through, Falun Gongs are going through. Also at the summit are those who are living through the impact of religious persecution. The 17-year-old teenager is calling for the release of a parents in China who have been detained for two years for practicing the meditation practice of Falun Gong. Just 
The two-day summit will wrap up on Wednesday after featuring more voices from across the globe speaking out for religious freedom. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The NFL's Conference Championship Sunday was a major victory for the league as both games claimed massive TV ratings. In particular, the Chiefs' thrilling win over the Bengals drew an average of more than 53 million viewers on CBS, making it the most watched show on any channel since last year's Super Bowl. The game featured a pair of star quarterbacks in a tense battle that wasn't decided until Harrison Butker's game-winning field goal with three seconds left. Meanwhile, the NFC title game still held strong in the ratings, averaging more than 47 million viewers, despite the Eagles blowing out a 49ers squad that was without a healthy quarterback by the end of the contest. Combined, it was the NFL's best conference championship Sunday in nearly a decade, when a record audience tuned in to see Peyton Manning battle Tom Brady for a spot in the Super Bowl. And sad news in the NHL is the Chicago Blackhawks announced Monday that Hall of Famer Bobby Hole passed away. Hole led Chicago to the Stanley Cup title back in 1961 and won back-to-back Hart Memorial trophies as the league's MVP in 1965 and 66. Hole, whose 610 NHL goals are still 18th best all-time, was known as the Golden Jet, both for his speed on the ice and his long blonde hair. Hole was 84. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has five games on the docket featuring the LA Lakers and LeBron James, who after sitting out last night's contest is still just 116 points behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's career scoring mark. They'll play the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has three games on tonight, including one with arguably the hottest team in the NHL. Carolina Hurricanes, who won a league high five straight games, they host the LA Kings. And that's it for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And breaking news from the NFL, the Denver Broncos have struck a deal with the New Orleans Saints for former head coach Sean Payton, according to a report on ESPN. Payton led the Saints to a Super Bowl win plus seven division titles. He retired a year ago, but was still under contract to the team. Denver will send a first and second round pick in return for Peyton and a third round pick. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.